everyone. Welcome to The Travel Coach, Moving Body, Mind and Spirit. My guest today is a registered nutritional therapist, an holistic well-being coach, spa educator, World Wellness Weekend Ambassador, and Born Traveler. Getting the travel book at early age, she has spent more than 30 years working, living, and traveling abroad, having lots of adventures and touching the lives of many people around the globe. She now works with stressed, busy women, leaders, and entrepreneurs, helping them to get back their baba boom. Julie, <laughs> Bren, welcome to The Travel Coach. Thank you so much, Sonia. It's great to be here. It's my pleasure. I'm so excited to get uh, this chat to you with you today. <laughs> and as you know, always as a starting point, I would like if you can tell us a bit more about uh, your background, what was your life growing up and the relationship with travel at this age. Yes, of course. Um, so I grew up in the south of England uh, in a working class family on a council estate. We had a great childhood, but obviously travel was something that wasn't on our radar because we just didn't have the money. I was one of five girls, but it didn't stop me dreaming. And my father and I used to love to watch the travel show on a Sunday night. And he was a bit of a dreamer like me. So we would often sort of sit there in the cold winter months and we'd be dreaming of all the places that we could possibly go to. And we used to have, I suppose, I think three of our top destinations were um, Hawaii because we also we loved that TV show Hawaii Five-0. <laughs> um, I wanted to always go to Disney and the last one was the Seychelles uh, because we would dream of these tropical wonderful places and in fact uh, many years later I actually did get to put my feet for a few hours in the Seychelles as I did a, a flight. I was flying from Mauritius to India so I could, I could tell my dad, unfortunately he passed away in 2006, but I could say to my dad, yes, I made it. Oh, great. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So you made one of them, yeah? We made one of them, yeah. Yes. Still haven't done Disney, um, and Hawaii is still definitely on my list. That's amazing. <laughs> so I know you, well, you, you just said you were born in the UK, now you live in yeah. Belgium. So yeah. was this a decision that you took at an early age, to early 20s? Is that correct? Well, yeah, I mean, actually, after I studied languages at college, uh, I got invited, actually, to join a, a travel company. And I went and spent my winters living in the mountains in Switzerland and in, uh, in Andorra. And in the summertime, I was working on the beach in Spain. And we were organizing either sporting holidays or cultural holidays for groups and children. So that for me really, you know, was such a pleasure to be able to, to do that. But obviously there comes a time when you, you need to sort of think about maybe settling down. So I moved back to the UK for a while, but I just got my feet got itchy and I had to go again. So there was this amazing opportunity to come to Belgium to work on a program for the reconstruction of uh, economic reconstruction of Europe. And I'd always been fascinated by, obviously, you know, the countries of Central and Eastern Europe and also the former Soviet Union. So I jumped at the chance to be able to, to go. So my sister put me on a boat um, one July day and waved me off. And I arrived in Ostend. Couldn't speak a word of the language. Didn't know that there was another language here. And uh, then made my way eventually by train to Brussels, where I spent many, many years living. 
And now I live back on the other side of the linguistic border. And thankfully, I have now learned the language on this side. <laughs> so when were your uh, fears or challenges, despite the language, it was any other barrier that you were maybe, made you hesitate to make this move? I think the biggest one for me was was leaving friends behind, you know, mm -hmm. having nobody by my side that I knew. I mean, I literally did know a single person when I arrived here. And um, that, in the beginning, was quite daunting. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, I can relate with that as well. So mm. it's some of the reasons sometimes. But this didn't yeah. stop you. No, it didn't stop me. And in fact, I was incredibly fortunate because when I actually came here, they put you in what they call their, one of their holding apartments. And you were allowed to live there for a while while you searched out and looked for your own apartment. And, and, I, and I remember that, you know, you, could, you, you didn't know who you were going to be partnered with. And um, in that particular time, there was a, a gentleman who was older than myself. Mm. Um, and he was from Ireland. Uh, wow. His name was Jerry, Jerry Farmer. Yeah, he was a wonderful man. And we just hit it off amazingly. We had such a, a great rapport. Uh, we had the great sense of humor as well. And he really took me under his wing and sort of, because he'd been traveling all over the world in those days. He'd been like a consultant in many, many projects all over the world, development projects. And he took me under his wing and he really showed me the ropes. He showed me how to, to be a good project manager, how to be a good consultant. Uh, he, he always cared for me and made sure that uh, I, uh, I didn't get myself into trouble, as it were. But, yeah, so he was a really, a really amazing influence on my life. And I think it was the first time I'd actually had what I would call a mentor. Mm. So yeah. he was a colleague of yours, or how did you meet him? Yeah, so basically he, he had come through the same route as myself to arrive in Brussels to work at the European Commission. And I think, you know, he had certain specializations which they desperately needed at that point for the reconstruction programs. And, uh, yeah, we just sort of, like, ended up in the same department together. And, uh, yes, he got me on lots of projects with him, and uh, I became sort of like, uh, I suppose, his, his mentee. He, he had me on uh, lots of different uh, exciting projects that we worked on together. And uh, yes, I say it was, a, it was a good positive relationship and one that I have always treasured and, and very much valued. Wow. So out of nowhere, two completely strangers. Absolutely. I mean, completely different age, age differences as well, which was always quite funny because, you know, we both had a little bit of what I would call a naughty, a naughty streak. And so when we used to be invited to embassy parties or to uh, different events, we used to often laugh that we lived together. Because we, okay. did. we did. We did live together for a while. And it used to sort of shock people. <laughs> and so we, we would have a good, a good laugh about it. But, you know, that was so nice to have somebody like that that you could, you could work with, you could be serious with, but at the same time that you could have a laugh with. Um, he used to take me to the pub and we used to watch football matches. Not that I like football very much, but it was just nice to be eased into a new situation where you know you could get to know people yeah so was this complicity and uh... yeah absolutely absolutely yeah so Indeed. what do you think uh, was the the thing that you most value about what you learn or what uh, he teached you that uh, maybe helped you in for the rest of your career or your life yeah i think he opened my eyes very much to a way of communication to a way of interaction. And obviously we were going to work in countries as well where um, you know, things hadn't been so open. 
things had been quite close. People were quite sort of wary and a bit suspicious of us, you know, and who are you coming to tell us what to do kind of thing. And so he really helped me understand uh, culture and other people's cultures and how to to negotiate that. I mean, I, I'd never come from a political background at all. I came from banking and finance. So it was uh, a whole new world for me to be in this world of diplomacy when you were obviously getting to meet people in positions of power in government. Um, you know, even up to sort of like state secretary level, you, you would have interactions with people and how how important that was to behave in a certain way and how to enter into negotiations and to meetings and things like that. But also basic, basic skills, basic, really good project management skills of how to make sure a project would run on time uh, and how it could be successful. I suppose I, I'm imagining the situation, a young lady, in a new country, in this uh, environment you described that sounds quite masculine. I don't know if I am wrong, but how did you feel as a female in relation uh, with this, this situation and how this uh, role of uh, Jerry was the name, yeah? Hell with you yeah. there. I'm pretty feisty, <laughs> being a redhead. I am a natural redhead, but yeah, being pretty, pretty feisty. And I think I've always been a bit of a go-getter. Uh, problem solver. So at that time, I, you know, I felt I stood my ground. I could stand my ground very well. Um, I didn't feel small or or insignificant. Let's put it like that. But he always made sure that uh, I was respected. That was the most important thing. That I had a voice at the table in meetings, and that I could bring. I had. I brought value, which was important as well. So and the support of uh, this uh, person. Because he didn't expect, he didn't have any interest at all. Uh, it was something Absolutely that he did out of his heart to help you. Yeah. So, absolutely. Come. Yeah, no, I was saying absolutely. I mean, there was nothing in it at all apart from two people being thrown together in a situation in a strange country and you look out for each other and, you know, you see ways of making your lives perhaps a little less, less being less homesick. Um, having something to look forward to, you know, having a chat, all those kind of things, you know, we, we talk about everything and everything, you know, and he'd always pass on his advice to me, whether he thought I was being a little bit too young and naive at times, he would always bring me back and ground me again, which was really good. So this um, generosity, if uh, you, you can call it generosity, right, of helping you impacted in a way that uh, from that moment you decided to pay it forward. Tell me more about Absolutely. this. Yeah, pay it forward. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't until many years later, obviously, that film came out. But you know, my mum always used to have this saying, which was, and I don't remember really understood it until I actually went into the corporate banking world. You know, be really nice to the people that you meet on the way up because you may just well meet them on the way down again, and you may need their help. And that always always stuck with me. So I've always seen the fact that you. You, you're offered this amazing opportunity in life to meet people, um, and especially through travel, because travel just takes you away from what you know and puts you in situations where maybe, oh, sorry. Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, maybe you have conversations with people um, that you might even think about you have conversations mm -hmm. with. You sit next to somebody on a plane, you're sitting in a hotel lounge, uh, and you are able to, to sort of communicate. So, you know, I, I think truly that there is always an opportunity there and you never know who's next to you. You never know what that opportunity can bring. So it's been my philosophy always to remember that no matter who comes through your life, 
they're there for a reason. And how long they stay is, is depending on, you know, that, that relationship, whether they stay for, a, I've had um, many great girlfriends that I've met over the years through travel, but still today are, are my best friends and they're in the other side of the world. You know, my, one of my best friends is living in the Cayman Islands at the moment. And, you know, I, I, I won't see her for a couple of years. But, you know, we have a history together of, of, of care and, and looking out for each other. And so everybody you meet in any situation, can, you can influence their life. You can, in such a way, um, have an impact on it. No matter how little you think that might be, a conversation might spark an idea for that person, and that may end up then transforming their lives. Wow, that's so powerful. You, you said lots of things there that I'm so passionate about. So that everybody you meet in this journey is there for a reason. You impacting I you. So. Are you impacting them? Even if it's a short period of time or long period of time, you don't know how long it's going to be there. So always being open, always being open to, to meet these people, to get to know these people and also traveling. You are out of your comfort zone and you meet these people um, that are also out of their comfort zone sometimes. So these relationships are stronger. Are, yeah, you, I mean, you, you, you have common ground. I mean, and I always think one of the greatest levelers as well between people is food. Mm. You know, food is always something that you can come together over. You can sit and have a meal with somebody. You can, uh, or you know, you could be somewhere in a market and you could be looking at food or discussing food, having a coffee or whatever. But food for me is one of those great things that cuts down barriers. It just cuts through, cuts through the red tape, if you like, because over food, people want to share with you their culture through their food, I found, in every, every country I've ever traveled in. And for me, I love food. You know, I'm a nutritional therapist. I love discovering new things and new tastes and new flavors. And that's a great way as well to connect with people. Yeah, we are very proud of our, uh, you know, uh, cuisine and uh, in my case, Mediterranean cuisine. Yeah. <laughs> so we love that. So that's so true. It, it says a lot about also our uh, culture and traditions. So it's a part of our history and, and our, ourselves. The, the food is very powerful as well when we travel. That's amazing. Yeah. So I think yes, I think if I hadn't been if I hadn't done what I did now, I might have even become a food historian. Yeah. <laughs> fascinating how how food journeys uh, and you know how food the spice roots and how different dishes and mm. uh, I think last night I was writing about the emperor's forbidden rice. The black rice, so, okay. you know, those those kind of things really spark my imagination. Yeah, yeah. and how some cultures love more spicy, and the others, you know, other <laughs> kind of. That's yeah, that's, that's fascinating. True. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So now, uh, when you were uh, well, we were talking about this journey, right? When you were there, and, and mm. Jerry helped you. So I know you travel a lot. You travel also for work, and just being yeah. an educator and uh, teaching around the world is already contributing. Is already paying it forward, but this was not enough. For you so you wanted to go beyond that so how, how was this uh, tell me maybe with some examples some um, trip you did and, and the situations that meeting people that you maybe saw that you could help and how this uh, can serve as an inspiration for, hmm. for those who are also maybe uh, wanted to travel and, and make an impact on other people's yeah. life well, I, I suppose one of the stories that comes to mind is when a young girl, uh, she came to work with us. Now, it was back in the time when 
you know, it was very hard in some of the uh, countries of uh, Eastern European countries to find work. And so we had a program where we would bring over say, young graduates, if you like, and try to uh, mentor them and help them. And I think she'd been working as a waitress uh, for quite a while and hadn't been able to find any work. So she came over and she used to call me her little mama. Wow, okay. <laughs> and basically, you know, I, I kind of was, was paying it forward as well though, because, you know, I wanted to also mentor her because she'd come from her own country alone. So I took her under my wing and I spent about six months really coaching her and working with her and helping her to learn skills like project management skills and particularly in finance, which was an area at that time that was, was my particular uh, go-to area. Do love a spreadsheet, as, a, as a, <laughs> the people who know me will tell you. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time teaching and training her and, you know, and it wasn't always easy, but, uh, you know, we got there in the end. And I was so amazed and, and happy to see that years later that she went on to be a financial manager and then on to be a financial director. And her, her career really blossomed and bloomed. Mm-hmm. And, and one always has to wonder whether or not the, the, the contact that you had set her off on that path, you know. And, and then what she will go on and do today you know, could also be, she could also be paying it forward from that experience. And, and what else? Oh, another one that comes to mind was, again, it was in all those strange, strange places where you, you never expect to meet somebody from, uh, let's say, uh, a country that was, couldn't be further away from this country. <laughs> let's put it like that. And this gentleman, um, he was supposed to meet me at the airport and take care of me. And it turned out that he came from Georgia, the Republic of Georgia. And it's one of the countries I absolutely adore as well to travel to. And people that were just so lovely. And uh, bless him, you know, he was sitting at the airport waiting for me until three o'clock in the morning because I had visa problems. And he took such good care of me the whole trip. And I was just so grateful for this because I, I, I'd never been to Qatar. Um, it's my first time there. I was a little nervous, obviously about how to behave and everything. And he just took, took such super good care of me. And then years later, he reached out to me and he needed some help. I know, and it, it didn't even cross my mind not to say no. Of course I was gonna help him. And because he'd been this amazing support for me, and I just wrote him this uh, a glowing refer- referral in the hope that he got this really good job in a five-star hotel that he was going for. Wow. So yes, yeah, so anybody who, who I think, um, is traveling and you know and you get help from from people whether they're local or not just imagine you know that person is doing that just for you and and maybe one day at some point you could you could help them back as well yeah what i'm noticing here is is people who already requested your help i mean because sometimes we want to help and if the help is not wanted we can feel frustrated or we try you know trying to help people Mm. who actually you see they need help but maybe they are not um wanted your help so do you think this is uh, mm. something important to wait for this person to ask yeah. you or offer you help or how we can I don't think we can force anything on anybody but I, I think what it's really really important to do is always to leave the door open you know my door is always open to anybody I've ever taught all over the world um anybody who, who needs a bed for the night mm. who actually uh, I've met I I always say to them you know if you happen to be in Europe and you need something, you know you can always reach out to me. I think that's the most important thing is, is showing somebody that there's a door open. 
Yeah, I suppose. And, that, and there's a connection. It doesn't matter how long it's been, whether it's been years or years and years. If you have a connection with somebody, then they should, I think it's not that you should. I think there is that feeling that you, that you would be welcome them. Mm -hmm. They see you as approachable. They see you as... Yeah. And I mean, there are some cultures, aren't there? There are some cultures where at certain times of the year, for example, I think it's a, it's a, it's a culture I, I came across um, on one of my travels where they put a light in the window to tell the traveller, the lonely traveller on the road, that they're welcome to stop by for a meal wow. and, a, and a place to sit and to get warm by the fire. And that has always, again, really touched my heart to think, well, that's a wonderful, you know, to leave yeah. a sign for somebody that here you're welcome. Wow. It's amazing. That's amazing. Well, I'm thinking, you know, um, you were telling me also that you were traveling and um, kind of blogging. Is it possible you told me that you were blogging <laughs> and sharing? Tell me more about that. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Okay. So I was blogging before blogging became even famous or okay. even, even a trend. Yeah. So back in, ooh, it would have been back in the 90s, I guess. I used to have this thing called the mission reports and I would send out emails of funny stories about my travels and I kept a diary and I would sort of like look at the funny side of life. I think my sister used to say that I was uh, trying to be a Bill Bryson, but I don't think I actually was as funny as him or as amusing <laughs> or entertaining as him as a travel writer. But certainly, yes, it was something I really enjoyed doing. And then later on, obviously, when Facebook became uh, popular, I set up something called the Captain's Blog, and I would have my, you know, my friends would join along, and they would follow my travels, and I would always sort of uh, send pictures or write, again, write funny stories of things that happened to me. And, and I remember people actually, I didn't think anybody was reading it, which is really weird, but, you know, apart from a few people who were commenting, and then suddenly I was meeting up with people when I go back to the UK, and they were telling me how much that cheered them up, it made them laugh, but obviously they weren't interacting with the posts. But uh, yeah, it was really, really comforting and, and, and to know that there were people who really loved the captain's blog and they would, they would look forward to it. And unfortunately, sadly, because I've been grounded, I've been sitting in the departure lounge now for over a year, I haven't actually been able to write anything. Hmm. So um, I kind of, let, kind of let my readers down a little bit there. <laughs> and we have also a break for travel right now so looking yeah. forward yeah. are you looking forward to travel again what's the first place you're going to go or the place mm. that is always in the back oh of and you make it well you know I, oh, my heart is torn to so many places but I will have to say Italy mm. and in fact if it goes ahead I've got my first trip planned to visit a friend actually who, who has been such a support to me as well over the years she moved to a place called Bra to study for a year. And uh, I've agreed to fly down there because it's also, she's studying gastronomy, which is one of, again, yes. one of my favorite things. So <laughs> I'm, quite, I'm quite envious actually of this wonderful training course she's doing. And then we're going to go and visit another friend in Venice because I've never been there. And then hopefully I might go down as well to a place that really my heart is, is actually Parma uh, because I do I love the Italian uh, lifestyle and, that Parma area is, again, the food basket of Italy. There are lots of yummy things to discover there and also lots of friends there as well. I think this is one of the most people uh, who are waiting for traveling is first family, friends, you know, visiting yes. all these hacks that are yeah. pending and these visits that are pending and then mm. explore uh, a bit more from there. Absolutely, yeah. 
So you know how, Julie, I love to collecting hidden gems from all around the world. Ah. <laughs> what would you like? Yeah. Like, what would you like? <laughs> if you can share with us um, from your town or your region, what you think is a must? But maybe it's not that popular Ooh. or that uh, touristic, but uh, if somebody goes there nearby, they have to go and stop there and visit. What this could be? Well, I've got actually I've got two for you, if I may. I'm going to be yeah, brief sure, here. Yeah, sure, sure. I love I love to share. Um, let's start with something that perhaps people don't know is there's an abbey near where I live here. I live in the Antwerp region, and there's an, an abbey called Tongolo, and in Tongolo they have a, an actual version of the Last Supper that was actually painted by Michelangelo and his school, the students that studied with him. Now, when you go to look at it, you don't lie on the floor and look up at it, you actually look at it face on. So that's also a, a completely different perspective. And actually when they were redoing the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, they actually came to here, to Tonglo Abbey, to study the colors and the way that it was painted because obviously it was painted at the same time, but just on a different camp, on a different way, a different material. So it's amazing because you can get so close to it. And I could sit there for hours and look at it as well. And in fact, during the Second World War, it was smuggled out of, uh, out of Belgium and taken to the UK for safekeeping. Oh, okay. But we got it back. We got it back. Very good. <laughs> and then I think, I suppose, uh, another really intriguing, uh, let's say, an intriguing gem is about Antwerp. Now, I love Antwerp. I mean, Antwerp is a city that I would recommend to anybody because there are loads of hidden gems there. If you like architect, you like, uh, say, you'd like um, also art and, and fashion. But there's also stories. And one of them is particularly, it's called the, the Dog of Flanders. Now, here, none of us really know this story. But actually, it's a children's classic in Japan, Korea, in the Philippines. And so lots of tourists from that area want to flock to Antwerp to see this place. And actually it's about a little orphan boy called Nello and his dog, uh, Patricia. And actually the story is actually set in Hoboken because Hoboken is a suburb of Antwerp. But the little boy, unfortunately, he, he ends up dying. It's a very tragic story. Mm. He ends up dying mm. under, in the cathedral in Antwerp under the painting, a painting by Rubens. And the little dog is said to have sat every day outside the cathedral, pining and pining and pining for the little boy. So, you know, for a while, the tourist office here couldn't really understand why so many people were flocking and asking about Nello and his dog. And eventually, back in 1980s, they actually worked out what it was. It was actually, um, they say, this story that was written actually by an English uh, author called Marie Louise de la Ramée. It's a fictional, fictional story, yeah. I understand. Okay. Yeah. So she used to write under the name of Ouida. And I say, she set this story for some strange reason in Hoboken, in Antwerp. And uh, this, this, the tragic end came at the cathedral. And so that's why so many people come to Antwerp uh, from those countries, from the Asian countries, because of this, this children's story that is, again, obviously touched their hearts. Yeah. So they were able to travel. Wow. Uh, to faraway places through these children's stories. And actually Hoboken in, a, in New York got its name from Hoboken in Antwerp. Okay, oh my God, that's a, yeah. <laughs> that's a masterclass here. 
<laughs> Absolutely. So there you go. Some fun facts. Some fun facts for this evening. Beautiful, beautiful, <laughs> amazing. Thank you very much for sharing this. Uh, definitely pleasure. places to to visit. And you know, time flies, and uh, we have to say goodbye. But I would like. I know. I it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I hope I hope your viewers have enjoyed my stories. I've enjoyed really telling enjoyed. it. Enjoyed. I'm sure everybody here enjoyed. And uh, before finishing, I would like if you can share what's the best way to contact you. What would be the, oh, the way? So you can find me at uh, Olea Absolute Nutrition and Wellness, or you can find me via LinkedIn uh, under my name, Julie S. Wren. And uh, I think uh, you, you can't miss me, I don't think, if you look for the hair. <laughs> for the red hair. <laughs> so, yeah, so if anybody needs any kind of support at all in terms of nutritional support, I have a program specially designed for women in their 40s and over who are living very hectic lives. Mm. And I say, if anybody out there as well is interested in World Wellness Weekend, um, there's lots going to be lots of fun things going on in September all around the topic of wellness as I well. I check so it out and it's super interesting. Thank you very much, right. Julie. Thank I you really so appreciate it. It was a pleasure to have you on board the Travel Coach and I wish you <laughs> and everybody tuning happy and Thank safe you. travels. Yeah. Thank you, you very much. Be safe, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For new adventures every week, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For more travel coach insights, follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Sonia Cruz Oro. Happy travels!